0: Hi, welcome to this episode of Black Beat Podcast, where we take an unapologetically Black approach to profiling the people, stories, and the significance to, to the connectivity and advancement of our community. Hi, my name is John Washington, and I'm the CEO and editor in chief of Florence Media and your host for each of these Black Beat podcasts. Today, I am honored to welcome a longtime local businessman civil servant, and community organizer to the show today. James Taylor has served on the board of parole and post-prison supervision and worked over 30 years in the banking industry in Portland, Oregon, where he was instrumental in the foundation of uh, the the foundation of Albina Bank in the Seoul District. His later crowning achievement is the upcoming Vanport Music Festival a tribute to the history of the lost city of Vanport, Oregon. International jazz industry all-star, all-stars include festival headliners and queen of per- percussion, Sheila E., who performed with the legendary Prince. We can't wait to hear more. So let's welcome Mr. J- Mr. Taylor today to Black Beat Podcast. What's going on, Mr. Taylor? How you doing today?
1: Oh, pretty good, John. Thanks for um, having me on. You know, just a um, busy week leading up to next week's festival. So just trying to cross all the T's and dot all the I's.
0: Bruh, I ain't, I ain't envious of your situation right about now. You know, because I know you got a lot of movement going on right now. This is a pretty big size festival. So is the festival going to be in the same place this year?
1: It is. It's going to be at um, Coldwood Golf Course, which is on 7313 Northeast Columbia Boulevard. You know, our original festival, this is the fourth annual festival. And so the first two years, we held it at Portland Meadows. But due to Portland Meadows deconstruction, demolition, I should say, and the rebuilding of an Amazon distribution center, we signed a three-year agreement with the city of Portland to hold the festival at Colwood. So we we're happy to be back there again this year.
0: Well, right on, my brother from another mother. <laughs> and I say, say say that to you because I very rarely have met anybody that is black and as good looking as me. Uh, but, you know, I can't tell who's better looking, but uh, with the same birth date of mine. So talk that's, about uh, that's
1: kind of interesting because when I first met you, John, and we seemed to have a connection and we found out that, you know, we were born on the same day and then we... Um, <laughs> We started talking and then we wore the same football jersey number <laughs>
0: man, that is you know, it's like
1: it's like you could have been my twin brother you know but.
0: <laughs> but I ain't mad at you I know you still got great hands my brother but come on Mister, <laughs> tell, tell us a little bit about how you got here man tell us a little bit about those humble beginnings of yours man um uh, so, this man how you get here today man talk to me a little bit where you come from talk to the, talk to our audience a little bit
1: well without trying to run a long story I mean um You know, I was born in Mississippi and my dad was an Air Force man, so we moved to California when I was very young. And my mother and my dad had six kids, you know, in eight years. So we had six kids in the family. So it was a very busy family. But my dad being in the Air Force, um, when I was in middle school, we lived in Turkey. Actually, it was my, you know, sixth grade year. And then um, when I was in seventh and eighth grade, we lived in Spain. And then after that tour, I came back to Southern California where I finished up um, high school. And then my journey brought me to Oregon where I came to play football and get a business degree at Linfield College. And kind of um, after college, um, I worked in banking for for 32 years, and have some momentary um, departures where, you know, I was a sports agent for seven years, working with players in the NFL and NBA. And, um, you know, I um, retired from banking in 2017, and the governor um, appointed me to the Oregon Board of Parole and Post-Prison Supervision. So I've um, been on the board of parole as a board member since 2017, and um, of course that was the same year that I started the music festival. Wow. wow! That's kind of a quick, quick summary of my journey, if you will. That brought me to Portland.
0: Yeah, man, uh, that sounds pretty damn exciting. Now starting a jazz festival and then doing parole and <laughs> probation, and to say, well, you got some diversity going on between my brother. I'm to say that. Yeah, but only us who was born in those days in which we was born can do that juggle. <laughs> I, heard, I heard that, I heard that, you know, know. So, fellow Aryans yeah, too, 1957, yeah, yeah. Huh? <laughs> sure. Man, can you uh, share with us uh, some of those inspirations, which becoming evol- involved in the criminal justice, what made you decide to accept that responsibility?
1: Well, I mean, I'd always had an interest in criminal justice, um, You know, my my brother, my younger brother, he was a um, police officer with the San Bernardino Police Department, you know, for about 15 years. And so as I was, um, you know, growing up, you know, I knew about law enforcement and the ins and outs of what they face every day. And I've had other relatives who had been in the police force. And so I kind of knew what was happening there. But um, as you know, as a black man in the United States, we face a lot of challenges with the criminal justice system. And so, you know, I wanted to be able to be in a position to at least add to the, I guess, to the equation of equality. And so probably from 2000,
0: Something. If we're getting a recording, uh, did you uh, put yourself on mute, Jane? Are you uh, something's frozen? Hello. Go ahead.
1: No. Um. As I was saying, um, you know, I've had a a brother, you know, who served 15 years in the San Bernardino Police Department, so I know everything that he went through and what issues faced uh, Black Americans at that time, and particularly Black men. And, you know, I've had, you know, buddies of mine who served, you know, on parole and probation positions, federal and county. So I knew from their perspective, you know, what issues were facing, you know, Black men in America. And before I joined the parole board in 2013, through 2017, I spent those four years as a kind of a board advisory position with the Oregon Youth Authority. And it was on their audit committee. And so that position, was a, it was a volunteer position, I still worked, but I got, to, got a chance to go around and visit all the youth jails in the state. Got a chance to talk to the superintendents, talk to the kids, and review the policies and procedures whether it be solitary confinement, you know, or other policies. And so that kind of really piqued my interest in being involved in the criminal justice system over those four years. And so then I had an opportunity to, you know, look at the adult, you know, board of parole and was privileged enough that the governor appointed me to to that position. and, And that's where I've been for the last four years.
0: Right on, man, and uh, you know we 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 can't get enough of brothers like you and sisters on those boards to help govern some policies that are uh, that surround um, you know that specific category that affects us as black people in our society, man. And, and you just can't say enough about the work that has to be done there. But let's let's shift to a lighter note, though, man. Uh, at the same time that you was over there, especially in. And being a part of that, you had some inspiration to do something that was exciting. What triggered that that thought, man, for you to to initiate to initiate that Vanport Jazz Festival? And I remember the last time we talked, man, you was talking about some things you did as a kid around this music thing. But share with us a little bit, share with the listeners a little bit about this about the festival.
1: I mean, I've always been interested in music, um, you know, from a from a young age. I mean, I remember when I was. And I won't go too long on this, but when I was um, living in Turkey and, you know, the OJs came to the officers club to play a concert that night. And and I was only about, you know, 10 years old, but my dad knew I was into music because, you know, they played all the records, just like all families do play all the records around the house. And so he took me to the club that night and told me to kneel down behind the bar and don't let anybody see me. So I got to see um, I got to see the OJ's concert when I was about um, 11 years old, and that would have been showing my age, but that would have been 1968. The OJs were in Turkey at the NCO Club. Wow! And you know, from there, when we moved to Turkey, or excuse me, moved to Spain, you know, I joined a, a band and. Learn how to play the bass guitar. So we had a little band, and then when I came back to Southern California, you know, as a tenth grader, we formed a band in my neighborhood mm-hmm. and had some um, some really good musicians. Um, you know, some of the musicians went on to play with people like Rick James and and other people. And then when I came to college, you know, um, I had a little just like a lot of guys. I had a part time DJ gig.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: but then my um, my junior and senior year, I was involved in the government at Lindbergh as an officer, and I was on um, the director of student activities my junior and senior year. So I got a chance to have the budget to book all the bands and all the entertainment on campus. So I brought in a lot of groups like Tower of Power, Pleasure and other groups and formed relationships with radio stations around the country, as well as the record labels who would send new albums, you know, for play over the campus radio station or for booking on campus. And, you know, um, I had a long, I just had a long time interest in music and in particular um, jazz music, you know, for the last 25 years And and told myself that, you know, one day you know, I would, um, have a jazz festival and the idea just kind of percolated there for many years. And 2016, it just seemed like the, the idea was, um, you know, had come to fruition and it, it really kind of emanated from a quote that I saw online that says, um, on the other side of fear is success. And, not to say that I've had tremendous success with the festival per se, but I think what I saw is that the fear of losing or not being successful at something is really what keeps people from being successful itself. And so you got to get over that fear and kind of um, move forward. And so that's what I did in 2017. Uh, I decided to move forward and Tackle the jazz festival and learn, you know, as I go, you know, to make this thing a success.
0: What was that like, bro? I mean, tell me. I mean, that's. A, but you know, I always listen to those spiritual partners of mine, and, and they always say things like, "Well, you know, you want to talk about a bank a bankrupt re- request to God is when you just ask for minimal, but when you ask for abundance Abundantly so, then God can hear you, <laughs> right? So they, they don't be asking. But it seems like one of them dreams that you, one of those things you asked for, was quite a big one, man. I mean, when you think about, you know, all that it takes to put on a festival of the size, you know, and what you're looking to do, and the, the enormousness of bringing the celebrity types and all this, man. What how what was that journey like? I mean, was it an easy place for you, based on your past, or was there some trials and tribulations that that you went through on your init- the initial onset of you bringing this idea to creation?
1: Well, I think there's, with any new venture, there's always um, trials that people go through. And, you know, I had never done a event on my own that was um, this size. You know, I was um, lucky enough to be part of a, a, a an all-star game, an NBA all-star game in Nassau, Bahamas in 1986 that we put on that had about 10,000 people come out to an outdoor stadium that we had erected a basketball court in. But the festival was a different animal and it was definitely, it's been challenges, you know, just um, logistics and, you know, um, marketing, you know, those things are always tough. I think um, there really hadn't been a jazz festival in Portland in quite a while, you know, since the Mount the Jazz Festival. Right. in terms of a, an event that you had to go through to pay to attend i mean the cathedral jazz festival is a successful jazz festival in north portland that's put on by the jazz society of oregon and they do a very very good job but it's a um, free concert and so there's not a lot of challenges to get people to come but when you do a paid festival there's a lot more involved in it a lot more marketing enticement and then when you're dealing with national and international artists you know to try to negotiate the the prices that you can negotiate in order to make it fit within your budget those are challenges yeah and you have to just um build your it's like any business you have to build it year after year until you get to that point where it's successful and so that's really been the challenge with uh, the jazz, but just building momentum year after year until you get that critical mass where now you can kind of um, consider yourself to have a successful event. And I tried to surround myself you know, with people that had been in the music business that could counsel me because I thought that was very important. If I don't know something, at least ask for
0: advice i'm trying to tell you man (laughs) it's not better to be be surrounded with people who can give you the information that you need man so in light of all that you say it's the fourth year this is your fourth festival
1: this is the fourth year it would have been the fifth year had it not been for the pandemic
0: come on because you're leading right into my next (laughs) question that's right on (laughs) how did the pandemic affect this festival this year i mean what was some of the issues that were associated
1: with that? Well with the uh, we were going to have the August um, 2020 festival but well, that was postponed and we postponed it in March of 2020. And you know a lot of our patrons they had already been to three of our festivals and so you know even though we have a policy of no refunds we were willing to give refunds to all of our customers because the pandemic was unforeseen and even though we could have not done that. We offered refunds. And and I would say that only, you know, about 20% of our patrons wanted a refund. The rest of them said, no, we'll wait and we'll stick with you and, you know, ride this out. And so that was a blessing there. And, you know, with 21, we really didn't know if we would be able to have, you know, our 2021 festival until about... Um, April heading into May And because we just wanted to see what the COVID numbers look like. Yeah. And so yeah. it's been a a challenge in terms of marketing with that short notice, if you will. But we didn't want to go two years without a festival. Right. So that's been the challenge, you know, from a marketing perspective.
0: Well, uh, I, I, somebody wrote a phrase down somewhere and they told me to ask you, discover the legacy experience, the re, the revival. What does that mean to you?
1: Yeah. Discover the legacy, experience the revival. And really, um, that's very dear to my heart. And it means to just, dis- you know, discover the legacy and experience the revival. The legacy is the city of Vanport. That's the name of the festival. And it was named after that city. And we want people to understand the challenges, that black Americans faced in coming to Portland in 1941, 42 to work in the shipyards Mm. of Portland. Mm. 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 And then we still want them to discover the legacy of when the city of Vanport flooded in 1948. And even though there were white and black people living in Vanport, it's important to understand that the city of Portland's black population as it you know is today it started with the flood for the most part and all those people had to move into the city of Portland and we kind of know the history of what happened in terms of multiple moves from different neighborhoods after they you know immigrated to the city but also discovering the legacy means understanding that when blacks came from the south They brought a rich music history with them. And when the flood happened and they had to move into the city of Portland, over the coming years, that rich music history was born. They opened up clubs, you know, jazz musicians like Dizzy Gillespie, Thelonious Monk, Ella Fitzgerald, all of the great heavyweights came through Portland, you know, during the 50s. Mm -hmm. And they stayed in the homes of Black citizens because of course, you know, Portland didn't allow Blacks to stay certain places and so they couldn't stay in hotels. And so just to make it short, we want people to discover the legacy that the citizens of Vanport brought with them. And that legacy still lives today and that's when we talk about experience the revival we want people to experience the revival of not only jazz music, but the legacy that Black people bought, brought to Portland in particular. Hmm. So that's important to the festival. And we try to drive that home every year. It's one thing to have a music festival, but to have a music festival with meaning is really important to me.
0: Right on, man. I do appreciate you sharing a little bit of that. You know Taylor with us on a little bit of the backdrop on some of this stuff man so tell me man so what's the artist gonna be who would you bring in this year man well, tell me a little bit about what that was like and and who you who you decided to bring
1: well we always try to bring a collection of artists that complement one another and you know we try to have some local artists also involved in the festival and so we've got um we're going to open up the day you know at 12 noon with a a a band and it's not really a a, an existing band it was a band that we put together it's a collection of artists and we wanted to showcase in particular artists you know from Portland young and old and so you're gonna see some of the older jazz artists who've been around Portland for a while. You will hear names like LaRonda Steele, you know, and Saida Wright. You'll hear young artists, you know, like um, Charlie Brown, like Noah Simpson, you know, like Shook Matthews. And so they're going to open up the day with an hour and a half set, and it's going to be some top-notch jazz. I mean, you will be surprised at the caliber of talent that these artists have. And then we're going to um, transition with our second act, which um, is Tahira Memory. She's the um, daughter of the late um, trumpeter and music producer, Clara Memory. And, you know, Tahira is a, is a rising star on the national jazz scene. She's played in Europe, you know, on tour. Matter of fact, she'll be playing at the Capital Jazz Cruise this summer, you know, departing out of the East Coast. And the Capital Jazz Festival, they've been around for like 28 years. So it's a major... Um, Pops for her. But then um we're going to bring our headline artist um, Marion Meadows, you know, a fantastic trumpeter. He's gonna be followed by um Grammy nominated um saxophonist Gerald Albright.
0: Oh man.
1: champagne life. Oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Everybody knows the champagne life, Mr. Albright.
0: <laughs> um, and, and then we're going to,
1: yeah, and then we're going to um close it out with um one of my favorite um, percussionists and singer, um, Sheila E., out of the Bay Area, the Escovita family. So, yeah. Sheila's going to um, bring it. Um, and I should say that, you know, we've expanded the amount of time on stage that our headliners will be entertaining the fans. Typically, we'll do a 60 minute set per artist. This year, the headliners have agreed to do a 90 minute set each. Oh, well, boy. Well, so well, you're going to get it all. No, I, mean, I just talked to um, Gerald Albright, and you know we'll be doing a interview with Sheila E. You know on um, Friday, and they're I mean they're all excited to be here in Portland, and I, the fans are going to get a treat you know when they come out and see them.
0: Right, there, Mr. I, man, Mr. I'm looking so forward to this. Uh, I really am. It sounds like there would be a great break in. it. Um, so hey, man, uh, on the sidebar, man, I mean. In light of, you know, Black Lives Matter and all that, I mean, what what's been your thoughts about how things have been going since the advent of George Floyd and, and where we are right now today, man? What's your sense in relationship to music and corrections and all that? Hey, man, give us a little bit of insight, man, as to as to how you see see the lay of the land these days.
1: Well, it's a tough question. I mean, it um can go many different directions, but I think, you know, from the criminal justice system since um, the advent of you know the Black Lives Matter movement, I've seen a lot of change in in how we are amending our laws at the local level and the um, county level. I think um, at the state level state level the legislation legislative body has enacted some new laws which should benefit um, you know black Americans. You know, they have um, a caucus that's comprised of members of the Senate and the House called the, um, you know, Black, Indigenous and People of Color Caucus. And so it's all of our Black senators and Black representatives and Hispanic and people of color. But they've been doing a great job of um, enacting new laws. And so I do think there's going to be some major changes. But, you know, it's uh, honestly with government, it's a slow process to turn that um, big ship around. I do see, I do see some progress, but you know, as you know, John, it's um, it's tough when you have, you know, when you're trying to make changes that are global changes, and you and I are old enough to have been through the civil rights era, where change has been, you know, asked for, demanded, and still today, it's we haven't seen all the change. So on one hand, you know, I see what people are doing, but on the other hand, I'm a little um, pessimistic as to how quickly we're going to see change in America you know, and in Oregon, although we're doing some good things. It's just, um, there are just too many people who are on the opposite side of the table who don't want change to happen in a major way. Yeah. And, yeah. and so that, that kind of um, bothers me and it gives me hesitation. And so, I mean, I hope that answered your question. I know it was yeah, man. Uh, probably uh, being uh, a lot you of know, I
0: just wanted that question to be off the cuff, man, because as you were talking, I just was reflecting upon some of the historical advancements that we have. And with these jazz festivals and all the relevancy that around people of color today just my hunch was that you had a a view of you had your finger on a little bit of the pulse of that and i was just curious about what you thought about well you you know um,
1: black americans and in particular black artists i mean um they have um been at the forefront of the civil rights movement you know when when black musicians you know played the chitlin circuit Yeah, I remember that. You know, I mean, they they couldn't stay, you know, they couldn't stay at, you know, places, they couldn't eat at places, they faced discrimination and hardship. It was um, a tough road. And so to a certain degree, black artists, they kind of, you know, were every day, every night, every month, every year facing racist tension throughout America. And so when you have artists today who can travel and express themselves musically, they're very, very appreciative of the opportunity. But they are so well aware of, just like most Black Americans, well aware of the discrimination that we faced in America. But I would probably say musicians have faced the most because they were out there every day you know every night trying to stay somewhere trying to eat somewhere and play somewhere so yeah they we hope we, we, hope we should owe our hats you know t- or tip our hats i should say to yeah
0: we should uh, yeah. black artists yeah. right and you know man i know you said it earlier it's, i don't know what that backdrop is the sound of that backdrop but i know you said it earlier but give us a little bit more of the logistics again so our listeners can know when where how, all that kind of stuff to get to this 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 most important event this year that will allow us some opportunity to come out and mix and mingle and, uh, and have all that social distancing and all that, what we need to be able to get down and have a good day and a good time and a good weekend. So share with us a little bit about where we need to come, go, what we need to wear, how we need to do this.
1: Well, first of all, we want you to come wearing your <laughs> festival wear, you know. <laughs> whatever you wear when you go out to a summer <laughs> gathering to have fun.
0: You
1: know, the festival is going to be at Colwood Golf Course, which is roughly on 73rd and Northeast Columbia Boulevard. It will start, the music starts at 12 noon. The gates open at ten thirty a.m. You can get your tickets at banportjazzfestival.com. That's our website. So just like the name of the festival, vanportjazzfestival.com, you can get festival information and just click tickets. It'll take you directly to the ticket site. I will say that our VIP tickets, you know, we had approximately 500 VIP tickets for sale. And checking this morning, we have approximately 20 left. So we don't have many VIP tickets left, but we have plenty of general admission tickets. And so we want you to come out and, um, We've got fans that fly in from Philadelphia, Arizona, California, you know, uh, Las Vegas, all over the country, they're starting to fly in for the festival. You know, Seattle, Tacoma, of course, they're coming big time. So we want Portland to show up and show out. Yes, sir. You know, we have food, food carts, food vendors. We have um, you know, spirits, you know, our, some of our hosts this year, will be Tito's Vodka, Don Julio Tequila, Bullet Bourbon, you know, Stoller Wines will be serving a selection of all their wines, and <laughs> you know Crown Royal as part of our selection
0: Woo! We'll have um, <laughs>
1: good beers. You know, so we've got plenty of spirits, plenty of beer, plenty of wine, <laughs> good food, and yeah. most of all, great, great music. I mean, Gerald Albright, he can't wait to see you. Sheila, he wants to, you know, dance with you. Marion Meadows, to hear a Memory. So come out and join us, you know, for the fourth annual Vanport Jazz Festival. Tickets at VanportJazzFestival.com.
0: We need to set about four of those VIP tickets aside for Mr. Washington there, so I can make sure I can get my deal in on this here. And uh, hey, Mr. Taylor, man, this has been, you know, bro, you know, this morning I started out, it was a highlight, you know, and we met with the federal delegate and, the delegates and you know, and we got to talking a little bit about the different pathways of how do we affect and move a community from uh, a blighted position to a place of empowerment, dignity, self-respect, and and you know, and where there's always money, there's always this thought that money should, is going to be the fixer of all those things. But we come to realize that we have a lot more intersections than just money we got to deal with. And so, man, I am so proud of the work that you're doing and trying to mitigate some of those intersections so that we can get into those intersections and get through them and get, and get to where we need to be going, man. so much respect to you, Mr. Taylor, and, and thank you for being a part of my podcast today, you know, where we take pride in improve, improving people's perceptions of their capabilities, their significance, and their influence in their communities and in their families and in themselves. So, my brother, you are a depiction or a reflection of all of that for me, and that is why I chose to have you on my show today. And man, I am honored that you took the time to do this for me, and much respect to you. You hear? Well,
1: oh, man, John, thank you very much. On um, those are kind words. I probably don't deserve them all, but you know, I appreciate it, man. Yeah, I appreciate it, man. and and I think um, I think I saw. I'll take it you with your name on it, you know, for the festival. Um, you
0: know,
1: <laughs> I should should put you at table <laughs> 44, you know,
0: for your... <laughs> that's okay. As long as eight is showing up, boy, we, I'm going to shake it every time. We have the eight. Come the hard way. <laughs> hey, this is wonderful, bro. Hey, look, man. As soon as this is over or even before, man, if it's possible, man, I'd like to get you out on the boat, man. Let's go on and just have a... Us- a personal time together, my brother, and, and let's spend some time. You hear? But thank you. Again. Uh, you don't mind for bring. do mind for bring my cigar, D. Hey, bro, please, please do, please do. All right, thank that's, you. That's gonna be real soon. and respect, if you hear anything we can do for you or say for you? Hey, man, and uh, again, much as they say, break a leg. You hear? All right, thanks, John.
1: Thank you for having okay. me on.
0: Have a good afternoon, yeah, my brother. Yeah.